0: Jesus Christ came into the world to change the story of our world and the story of our own personal lives. And before the Easter sermon this morning, I've asked Krista Janowick to share how she came to faith in Christ and what knowing Jesus Christ has come to mean to her. Let's welcome Krista as she comes.
1: For those of you that don't know me, my name is Krista Janowick, like Pastor Jim said. I just turned 18. I'm a senior in high school, and I have to say that throughout my small time on earth, Christ Jesus has absolutely changed my life. Ironically, my life story actually begins before birth. In 1998, uh, my mom had been going through many fertility treatments. That's my mom over there, Donna. And she was told that she wouldn't be able to have children, and she was absolutely heartbroken. And on Mother's Day of that year, she went to the altar during the Mother's Day service, and she was prayed for by a woman in our church. This woman laid hands on my mom and continually prayed for healing. And thank goodness she did. In March of 1999, she gave birth to a healthy baby girl. Me. (laughs) My parents named me Krista, which means Christ-given, in remembrance of the healing that God blessed our family with. As I grew up, God was integrated into everything that we did. I was dedicated in the church as a baby and grew up attending church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. My sister and I went through Sunday school, VBS, Awana, we watched Vezzie Tales, we even listened to the Gaithers. (sighs) What a great time that was. Faith was just something we did all the time. But as I became a teenager, I continued in this weekly pattern of going to church on Sunday and then living how I wanted through the week. I was just playing Christian. It wasn't until the summer of 2015 that my life was truly changed. My Nana, who some of you may know as Joanne, was diagnosed with breast cancer in June of 2015. And I was absolutely devastated. My Nana is one of the most kind, selfless, godly women of all. that I've ever met in my entire life, and I've always looked up to her and been close to her. She helped raise me, and she lives with our family. As her health started to decline, I fought with God continually, and I hardened my heart. A few treatments in, Nana got pneumonia, and we were really worried we were going to lose her. She was in the hospital for a while. This strong, beautiful woman I've looked up to had become frail, weak, and sick, I couldn't fathom why God was letting this happen to her. But after some time in prayer, I realized whatever God was doing, he was allowing these circumstances for his purpose. I told God that I was going to make my faith a personal expectation and a priority in my life. Faith was no longer something that my parents were going to do and that I would follow along with, but I would walk this path of righteousness with my Savior by my side. I had to get to the point where I was okay with whatever happened to Nana, even though I wanted him to heal her with every fiber of my being. I told God that I would worship him if she went to be with him or if she was healed. And that surrender absolutely changed my life. I understand now that faith is a daily choice I make. I have to decide if I want to live my life for God's purpose or, with, or if I decide to live worldly desires. During the journey of my Nana's cancer, my family was absolutely beyond amazingly blessed. Today, my Nana sits over here, cancer-free, <laughs> worshiping her Savior, he Cecil. <clears throat> my family was also blessed in another way. While she spent her time in the hospital, my sister and I refused to leave her site. Through this time, God helped me realize that he's calling me every day to help people, just like the professionals that help my Nana. Because of this experience in the fall, I will be going to Evangel University and studying biology pre-med so that I can help others every day of my life. Because I've committed my life to Christ, I live without fear of the future. Our world is filled with pain and sin and hurt, and trust me, I'm nowhere near perfect, But through my faith, I have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and that life is worth living just because he lives.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Krista. That was great. God bless you, Krista. Thanks, Krista. You know, all of us have things that matter to us. In fact, we construct our lives around those things that matter to us, the things that are important to us. Here are a few of the the things that matter to me. Uh, I was in a study hall in junior high school. A girl named Jill was sitting there just in the row in front of me. Cupid shot an arrow into my heart. In that study hall, I remember exactly where I was seated, and shortly after that, a couple months after that, I went down into the woods in front of our house, and with my knife, I etched onto the tree, June 7th, 1962 is when it took place, Jim and Jill, and you can see it right there, June 7th, 1962, Jim plus Jill. And I think right above it, it says truly, I can't quite make out that word. But Jill has mattered to me every day since that study hall. Uh, she, she took my heart. Um, there she is right there. Wait. <laughs> right. My kids matter to me, and I'm sure everyone who has kids here says the same thing. Each one of them mattered deeply to me. Wednesday morning, I'm going to board a train with my son Jimmy. By the way, there should be a picture of him. That's Jimmy and me at Fenway Park a couple years ago. But we have rare time to spend together as a dad and a son anymore. He's way out in Seattle. But on Wednesday morning of this week, he and I are going to board a train from Seattle. We're going to shoot on down to Portland. We're going to have two days of talking together, rare time with each other. We're going to go to the biggest bookstore in the United States, Powell's. And then we're going to drink Stumptown Coffee. (laughs) Looking forward to it. Okay, that's Wednesday. My grandkids... Two of them are here today. Danielle, for years and years, we have shared a mutual love for C.S. Lewis, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And quite often, she can say this by heart. Uh, Here it goes, a line from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. <laughs> i got to make it rhyme, all right? But uh, I've also brought, uh, brought some other things that mean a lot to me this morning in this bag. Uh, this baseball means an awful lot to me. Because my other son, on May 9th of 2012, he pitched a no-hitter with this baseball. And this is on proud display at our house and I as a grandfather reserve all bragging rights (laughs) Devin, way to go Uh, favorite book favorite book, read it many times Lord of the Rings trilogy saw it five times in the theater Jill thought I was developing a problem and then I tossed my Cubs hat in too So, we build our lives around things that matter. It also matters that I get to pastor this church. I'm very grateful for that. And you have your list of what matters to you. But we're here this morning, this Easter morning, because of what mattered to Jesus Christ. As Jesus approached the cross, we're told by the record of the Apostle John in chapter 12, verse 27, he writes these words that Jesus spoke. He says, Now my heart is troubled. Jesus knew that going to the cross was not going to be any picnic at all. It was going to be taking on the pain of the world. And so Jesus says, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. And we know that the night before his death, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was under such pressure that he was sweating blood. Because, why? Because the cross mattered to Jesus. Why did it matter to Jesus? Because that is where he died, bearing all of our sins, taking our place Under the judgment of a sinless God for our sins. The cross mattered to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this morning. How much does the cross matter to you? His resurrection. Well, let me say it this way. It didn't end on the cross. And the Apostle John writes this in John chapter 10 verse 18. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. The cross was not some sort of unexpected turn of events where Jesus ended up, by his own surprise, getting crucified. No, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, my own choice. I have authority to lay my life down. And, listen to this, I also have authority to take it up again. Jesus said, at the grave of Lazarus to Martha and Mary. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus was saying, I am the author of life. And I came into this world by my own choice to lay down my life at that cross and to take it up again on that third morning in the power of resurrection. His resurrection demonstrates That the crushing weight of our sins, our wounds, of all the evil and injustice of the world could not keep him down, but that he conquered the power of sin, he won the way of forgiveness for out of all of our sins, and the way back from our estrangement from the God who created us above everything else to have a personal, one-to-one, heart-to-heart relationship. Imagine that, that the God who created us himself is so personal. And we we, we were created in his image to reflect his personality. He created us above everything else in this world to have a heart-to-heart awareness and relationship with him. Jesus died on that cross so that that could be restored to you and I, and God is no longer this estranged figure that may live out there in the universe somewhere. So the cross mattered to Jesus because you and I matter to Jesus. And so let me ask the question again. How much does the death and the resurrection mean to you this morning? Well, for some, it doesn't mean very much at all because they doubt that it really ever happened. After all, one man saying that he is sinless and therefore qualified to die in the place of all humanity and then prove his success in doing so by rising from the dead, well, anyone who would say that, that's a pretty unheard of thing. No one in history who has been sane would dare to say anything like that or, be, or think that they could pull something like that off. But let me, let me ask you this question if you, if you struggle with doubt. What if Jesus did pull that off? Would you say that it then matters? I think even the most skeptical person, if it could be shown that Jesus really was who he said he was, that he died and rose again, I think even the most skeptical person would agree, if that's true, that nothing in the history of the world could matter more than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It would then really be what Jesus said it was, the good news for all humanity. It would be the resolution of our human dilemma with evil and injustice and abuse in all of its forms. And the world could be transformed by, human pe- by people who grasp this, if it's true. So if you have doubts this morning, may I ask, have you dismissed Jesus too quickly? Have you searched the records about him? This much is true, that a man named Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem in A.D. 33. And that news that he rose from the dead sparked a movement unlike any other movement in the history of the world with people that would be willing to lose everything, to be persecuted, to be tortured, to go to jail, even die, claiming not only to be eyewitnesses that of his, seeing him on the cross, but eyewitnesses of seeing him post-resurrection. Have you carefully read Jesus' biographer's? carefully read Jesus' biographers, and not just going by hearsay about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who record eyewitness accounts of Jesus Christ, his teachings, what he did. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling with doubts about this, the claim is worthy of your searching it out. Now, and let me throw this question in. Would you agree that if Jesus is right about this, if he did pull it off, if you, if you dismiss it, then you will have missed what matters most in your life, if it's true. Now, for others, they believe it did happen, that Jesus did die and rise again, And they will be in church every Good Friday and every Easter because they believe it. But it doesn't really matter that much to them on a personal level. It's important for Easter and Good Friday, but it doesn't seem to, it's just, well, yeah, if you say to them, Jesus died for the sins of the world, yeah, they say, yeah, I don't have any doubt about that at all. But it's never dawned on them that it is a much more personal thing than just that. Jesus suffered and sacrificed himself for the sins of Jim Nichols. Jim Nichols. My sins are responsible for the death of Jesus on that cross. Not really the Romans, not really the Jewish religious leaders who yelled crucify him, not the soldiers at the foot of the cross who were driving the nails in. They didn't send Jesus to the cross Jesus went to the cross because Jim Nichols, along with every other individual human being who's ever lived and everyone who's in this room, because I sinned. And when Jesus was on that cross, he, he took the sins of Jim Nichols and, uh, and took God's judgment on my behalf so that I would never have to. I had a way of forgiveness and a way back to God and to know God. Have you come to that personal awakening that what Jesus did in the cross and in his resurrection, he did it personally for you? So all of us go about constructing our lives out of what matters to us. And I think ultimately the question is this. What matters the most to you? And does your answer lead right back here to Jesus Christ and to his death and resurrection? I want to close this short message this morning from the written record, again from the book of John, about one of Jesus' core followers named Thomas who found the resurrection just too much to believe. He couldn't swallow it. Uh, Let me read read that for you. John chapter 20. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, was one of the twelve. He had been with Jesus for three years. He was not with the disciples when Jesus appeared the first time. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. I won't believe he rose from the dead. Well, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and can you picture this in the scene there? Jesus turns eye contact with Thomas and he he says this to Thomas. Put your finger here, Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side where they stuck the spear. And then he says, Thomas, flat out, he just says, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Thomas was convinced. And then Jesus said this to Thomas, Because you have seen me, standing right here in front of you, visibly, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet, have not seen me, and yet believe. I don't think there's anybody in this room that's ever seen Jesus physically. Is that true? Visibly? I'd like to talk to you if you have. I don't think so. The first generation eyewitness accounts, we have those. But ever since then, we haven't, none of us have been an eyewitness to the, to the visible presence, bodily presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus is addressing that right here. He's talking about that right here. Because he knew some people would stumble over that fact. I can't see him with my own eyes. I can, my five senses can't apprehend him right now. He knew that. Okay, so he says, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, let's go on. What does he say next? Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. The ones that are here are written so that you may, here's that word again, believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is really who he said he was. The son of God. And that by believing, here's the word again, that by believing, you will have this result. This experience in your life. That by believing, you may have life in his name. He doesn't say that by believing you'll just have another religious doctrine to hang on to. He doesn't say you'll just have another belief system to hang on to. He doesn't say you'll just have another dead religion to... He says, if you will come, if those who have never seen me visibly will come to me in faith, believing, they will enter into an experience that is profound and goes to the deepest core of our souls, our beings. The very life of Jesus that rose up out of that grave, the resurrection life of Christ, will enter into you and become the foundation, the transformation of the rest of the days of your life, here and forever. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish. That word perish means end up living a life that is a dead end. It's like a house that was started to be built, but the lights never got turned on. Nobody ever lived in it because the house, it perished. It didn't fulfill its purpose. We weren't created to live a life purposeless and pointless, a dead end life, a hopeless life, a wandering, straying life. We were created to live a life with purpose and direction that can come only from the God who created us. And that God loved us enough to step into our messed up, broken world. He died. He rose again. If we will believe in him, if you will believe in him today, you will have a profound, deep experience of his life beginning to flow into you. It's the promise that Jesus Christ has given us. So let me, let me wrap it up this way. Do you believe? Do you believe? If you're searching, you know what? I could say it this way. I can't imagine anybody who wouldn't want to believe. (laughs) I really can't. Because this is pretty good news. This is pretty decent stuff. So if you're struggling, wanting to believe, search. Read his biographer's. Get into that, okay? If you need a Bible to to do that, grab one at the information desk on your way out today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the gift of Jesus Christ, the greatest of all gifts. And I pray today, Lord, that for any person that may be struggling to believe, like Thomas was, that you will Draw that person to yourself, Lord, as they open up their heart to you. Lead them to belief. And Father, I pray this morning for those of us who have embraced Jesus, that we will, we will cling to the old rugged cross, Lord, that, that our love for Jesus and what he did for us on the cross will be a, a love that is just excelling and growing day by day. And let the light of his life and love and resurrection shine out from us into our world as an influence, And Lord, we give you praise, we give you thanks, and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen, amen, amen. And if you are searching for Christ this morning, how do you come to know him? You simply say, Lord, I agree that I've sinned, I've messed up, and I believe that you died for my sins. I accept that, I believe that, and I invite you to be my savior. Come into my life, forgive me. And when you pray a prayer like that sincerely, hey, the Lord hears that prayer and and the most profound thing that could ever happen in your life will begin to take place deep inside. I want to encourage that if you've never taken that step this morning.